And we are joined by UW-Madison political science professor David Cannon. Professor Cannon, thanks so much for joining us. It's good to be with you. So my first question is to get a sense of between the September poll and this most recent October poll, we saw a shift where Evers had a decent lead, a couple point lead to now Walker leading by one point. Do you have a sense of why that shift might have been? Well, right. So probably about half of that shift is the sampling difference between the October and the September poll. That the September poll was pretty much right on the the average that we've seen in all the Marquette polls, um, whereas this poll did uh, oversample Republicans by about four percent or so. So probably about yeah half of that six point shift that we saw towards Governor Walker is the the sampling difference, and then the other half you know must be a you know, a real you know move in in the electorate in in Walker's direction. Well, it's just in terms of, of who responds. And so, you know, anytime you're doing a, a you know, random sample of the electorate, um, you never know for sure, like, who's going to agree to talk to you and who won't. So if it's, you know, a perfectly random sample, it should reflect the underlying electorate. And that's where the Marquette poll always gives you what that long-term average is. And so you should be, if it's a representative poll, you should be pretty close to that long-term average. And so sometimes you just happen to get more Democrats who answer. Sometimes you get more Republicans who answer. And so it's, you know, any given poll is, you know, potentially going to be off a bit. That's one thing I really like about the Marquette poll is it always tells you um, that at the very end, like, you know, is this one that's sort of an average poll for us or did we oversample Democrats or oversample Republicans? And it's just, yeah, any given poll, you don't know for sure how it's going to turn out in that way. So in this broader political dialogue sense, we hear a lot of this enthusiasm gap between Democrats and Republicans, where Democrats are often depicted as being more enthused to go to the polls. But I notice in this poll, it broke down turnout, and the fewer people turned out, the better it was for Democrats. I was wondering if you had a sense of how that kind of squares against each other. Yeah, well, I think that what it explains that is that the if you think about the the people who are most like cross pressured and, and likely to to not vote uh, this time, it's, it's probably Republicans who are not that wild about Donald Trump. And so, you know, there were quite a few never Trumpers in Wisconsin, especially you know, during the Republican nomination process. Uh, Wisconsin was the last state that didn't vote for Donald Trump. With you know, Ted Cruz won the. Uh, primary here, and it was the last state that, that Trump didn't carry uh, on his way to the, the nomination and the presidency. And so there, there are plenty of Republicans in the state who, you know, like the Republican Party, they you know probably like, uh, you know, Scott Walker, but they, they really are reluctant to uh, send a signal that could be seen as endorsing uh, President Trump. And so those those voters are the ones who are more likely to stay home if it's a low turnout election. Now, if the if turnout is is higher, and uh, you know, say that you know the Republican base is is uh, motivated by you know, say the Kavanaugh nomination and confirmation, and and President Trump has certainly been talking about that a lot lately in his campaign events. 
to try to you know, motivate the Republican base. So let's say you do get more Republicans who are fired up about that and turn up, um, then that could you know, even things out in terms of the enthusiasm gap and, and work to uh, Governor Walker's favor. So another issue that's currently dominating the political discourse that also came up in the poll was the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh. How much of a factor do you think that the Kavanaugh confirmation will play in the 2018 midterms? Well, I think the the main way that it will shape the, the midterms is going to be on the question we talked about just a couple minutes ago of the enthusiasm gap and, you know, uh, will it fire up the Democratic base or will it continue to you know, have that effect on the Republican base as well? Because um, the excuse me, the, the overall, um, you know, split in terms of, you know, support for Kavanaugh, opposition to Kavanaugh was, was fairly close in the polls, like, you know, a couple points more on the side of saying that they, you know, didn't want him to be confirmed. But where you do see a big difference um, is uh, the gender gap. And so you see a huge, like, 18-point gen- gender gap on favorable, unfavorable, you know, for Kavanaugh. And so, you know, 48% of women say they have an unfavorable view of him, only 30% favorable for men that slipped, about a 15-point gap for, for men. And so there is where, again, it might sort of play a role, is if it does make more uh, you know, Democratic women go to the polls because they're very uh, upset about what happened with his confirmation. Um, but it's conceivable that you know, it could also have the, the effect for Republicans if Donald Trump's line is successful of of trying to portray this as a, a war on men, and that uh, you know that mothers and and wives have to be afraid about men being falsely accused of sexual assault, and so I, it seems to me that the impact on the Democrats is likely to have more staying power than the impact on Republicans, just because the Republicans won; they they were able to get Kavanaugh on the court, and often anger and frustration as a stronger motivator than being pleased with an outcome. And so I think, if anything, I don't think this will have a huge impact on the midterms, but if anything, it seems like this probably will be an issue that will help Democrats more than Republicans in Wisconsin. Also, I hate to bring a sports metaphor into this, but it seems like with the Kavanaugh nomination, where it's very much prevalent in the political discourse, it's so far away from election day so my sports analogy would be if you have three minutes left on the clock in a football game and you score in this connotation of you scored too early you've left too much time on the clock for your opponents to potentially do anything is that the case for the Kavanaugh nomination did Republicans score too early as it were well I mean, there's where I think, again, I would draw the distinction between the staying power of this for the Democratic base and Republican base. I think your sports analogy works pretty well for the Republican side. I think that you know, Trump has had riled up the Republican base um, and you know, gotten a lot of, of the you know, Fox News commentators and the, you know, the Republican right in the media to really pound pretty hard on this issue of you know, the, the Democrats' overreacting and and push and and you know ruining the the career of a upstanding man and and how much of an injustice this was and they really did rile up their base for that those couple of weeks towards the end of this process and it seems to me that already has started to cool off a bit and so i think yeah they probably did score a little bit too early 
um, and that this won't have as much an effect on the Republican Party. But I think the staying power on the Democratic side of this, the continued frustration over what they see as a, a longer-standing pattern of of not taking seriously enough the, the issue of sexual assault and listening to the uh, concerns of, of women around the country, I think this just fits into that broader, long-standing narrative on the Democratic side that this will only be more you know, fuel for that fire. And I, I think that, that that's not going to die away. So if you don't mind, if we take a brief hard left turn here, recently in a pretty unexpected move, the United States ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, announced that she was departing from her position in the Trump administration. What do you make of this departure? And why do you think she made the decision to do so now? Yeah, it's really hard to say. I mean, it's just, um, you know, she didn't give much of an indication of this. She apparently is leaving on good terms. The president had all kinds of nice, thing, nice things to say about her. Um, you know, one line of argument that I've read from, uh, you know, a few different pundits is that if you think about the people in the Trump administration right now who have a completely untarnished reputation, and if anything, have gained stature by their service in the administration, it's a pretty short list. And so, you know, uh, Nikki Haley would be right up there at the top of that list. People, Jim Mattis might be another. There are not, not that many people that have emerged from these first two years of the Trump administration with uh, their political reputations intact. In and some people think that's why Paul Ryan uh, retired when he did too as, as speaker is that you know he knew this was going to be a, a tough couple of years coming up and as speaker he was in a, a tough spot having to deal with with president trump all the time and so nikki haley clearly has uh, additional president uh, additional ambitions maybe even presidential ambitions and so one line of thinking is that she's getting out now while her reputation is still strong and people still think very highly of her do you have any reflections on her tenure in this position yeah, I mean, I think she did. You know, she was a pretty sort of effective voice for the uh, the Trump administration's line. I mean, obviously, the Trump administration is no big fan of the UN, so to be ambassador of the UN is a, a tough, tough job to have. But there were a couple different times uh, where she did notably sort of stand up to the president. And the one that sticks out in my mind is, you know, when uh, there was uh, the announcing of the the new uh, sanctions on Russia that were coming out because of the. Some you know, recent things that they had done. And at first, the the White House was trying to deny that was going to happen and that there wouldn't be any new sanctions. And they said, oh, Nikki Haley is just confused, and she got things mixed up, basically, you know, trying to get her to back down on, on saying that there were going to be stronger sanctions. And she fired back, like, right away, you know, I don't get mixed up. Sorry, this is this is happening. And so, um, you know, it, it's she didn't do a lot of that, um, but she, you know, did make it clear that she was her own person to some extent. Um, and I think she did a, you know, a, a pretty good job of, of being able to do that balancing act of doing the administration's bidding in general, but still sort of maintaining uh, something of an independent voice. So with this position now vacant, who do you think is next? Or what kind of a position do you think that the administration is looking to fill this role? Yeah, that's hard to say. And it's not vacant yet. She did say she was going to stay until the end of the year. So it actually won't be until uh, January that this actually open. Um, and so I'm sure we'll hear lots of different names floated over the next couple of months. My guess is this probably won't receive too much attention from the administration until after the midterms, just because that's going to you know, potentially be uh, you know, a big 
change in at least in the U.S. House, and so we'll have to kind of see how that plays out. And so for this election, do you have a sense of whether it will be played more on a national level where national issues will be more prevalent in voters' minds, or will it be more on a state level? Yeah, that's a good good question. I would say overall it's probably a little bit more of a balance towards uh, local. So when you look at, at Foxconn, the roads situation, that's not you know a, a huge issue nationally and more of a focus on education in Wisconsin than you're seeing in other states. And that's not too surprising, you know, given that Tony Evers is the superintendent of, of instruction and, and you have uh, Governor Walker, who you know, had some very controversial policies in education with Act 10 and then the, the huge cuts to education. And now with the stronger budget for education is, is arguing that he's the education governor. And so education is, is also, I think, much more central to this election than it would be to a lot of other governor races around the country. So for a contentious issue at the state level like Kimberly-Clark, where the state legislature is voting to potentially give similar tax incentives that the state gave to Foxconn to the paper goods company Kimberly-Clark, what do you make of that vote being held after the election? Yeah, well, it's, it's not surprising they, they did that because that's a you know, controversial issue, and politicians don't like having to deal with a controversial issue right before an election. And so I think it it does demonstrate, though, that this is a, a tough vote for a lot of Republicans because, you know, they know that the Foxconn deal has been criticized as, you know, too much of a, uh, you know, giveaway of taxpayers' money to a, a large corporation. And and so they, I think, are a little reluctant to be on the hook for something like that again right before an election. They may be more willing to do that if they, you know, maintain their their sizable legislative majorities. They might, you know, take that as a signal that, that maybe voters didn't care that much about Foxconn and it's, go, it's okay to go ahead and do that for Kimberly-Clark.